This morning we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Ryan was talking and walking through the Acts, uh, the movement begins, a series that we're in. Last summer I had a chance, Steph and I had a chance to take uh, our four littles up to spend a weekend with some dear friends of ours, Dan and Mindy, and their four little ones as well. And so it was like a two-to-one ratio, right? Eight kids, four adults. And uh, one of the mornings, Dan and I, we decided, you know what we want to do is we want to try to take a bunch of the kids away from uh, our two wives so they could have some time to connect at a deeper level and just give them a little bit of a respite. And so a few of the kids took a nap, and then we took, I think, five of them uh, on a pontoon boat fishing. And so I don't know if you've ever taken a a multitude of elementary uh, age children fishing at the same time, but if you haven't, I wouldn't recommend it (laughs) at all. Okay, uh, not a good idea. If you're here today and you're, you're a child and you're like, you know what I want to do for my dad on Father's Day is I want to get my siblings and I together and we're going to take him fishing today, I would advise it. It's not a good idea. Okay, I'm, it's by God's grace alone that kids didn't get like a hook to the neck, okay, or the eye or something. Now, what's interesting about fishing is I don't know when you take kids out which is worse. Is it worse when there's, there's no fish biting and they're bored out of their gourd? Or is it worse when you have them all catching fish at the same time and it becomes like this fire drill. They're all flinging fish at you saying, take this off and I need a worm and take this off and I need a worm. I don't know which is worse. But what's, what was interesting about this specific time we were in this pontoon boat was once we got all five poles in the water, it took two minutes and Isaac, my son... Caught a huge largemouth bass. I have, a, I have a picture of it here. So, I mean, it took two minutes, and it was just like, boom. And all of a sudden, he's reeling this thing. The pole is bending. And, um, and so we take it off. We, put, we, we must not have put it back because it's there. I don't know what we did with it. We must have brought it home for a picture. But anyway, um, and, then, and so then we got that off, and then we put the other, we got the poles back in the water again. And for, for two hours, didn't get another bite. Not one bite. But you know what was amazing is that I don't think we would have lasted 20 minutes if we hadn't gotten that first bite, right? Because every one of them were just like this. They're just waiting. Just waiting for that next largemouth bass to come. They're just waiting. But it didn't come. And they were dealing with this tension of like, this could happen. But it didn't always happen. The reality of what fishing is normally like actually set in. And they weren't quite as excited. In, in the book of Acts, there's a tension that we find in the early church. Here's what happened. The disciples had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. Peter had preached his first like sermon. 3,000 people were like, yes, I, I want to follow Jesus. They were speaking in different languages. They were hearing people who they didn't know how to understand. Like, all this crazy stuff was happening. And it continued to happen. But you know what? Then it wasn't always like largemouth bass. Sometimes the reality of the daily casting set in. Sometimes what people say is there's this honeymoon period. Just did a, I was able to officiate a wedding yesterday. And you can look at the couple and you can just see the, the anticipation and the love and the joy that they have. But those of you who have been married for a while know that not every day is not your wedding day, right? Things kind of settle in a little bit. And you can become disillusioned in any relationship. In any relationship that you have, there can be disillusionment. Um, and there can also be this joy. And what, what happened in the early church in this tension is they were able to balance both this honeymoon-level excitement of what God was doing with kind of the day-to-day monotony, if you would, of what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus. And here's how I think they did it. There's three things they were doing, and we're going to see in a text today. They were devoting, they were distributing, 
And they were demonstrating. They were devoting, distributing, and demonstrating. I want to go through this with you. To do that, I want you to follow with me in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read just a few short verses. Acts chapter 2 is on page 772 in the Brown Bibles. And we're going to read through verses 42 through 47. I strongly encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along with me um, as we do this. Let me pray as you, as you look at for that page, Acts 2. Father, thank you for this description of what the early church was like. Father, some people in this room have heard this for a long time. And I pray that you would show them something new. And some in this room have never maybe heard this before. And so I pray you would show them something new as well. Teach us that your word may not return void. That's your promise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, context here. This is after the life of Jesus and then his death and then his resurrection. Um, uh, the, his disciples, he said, hey, go out like Steve was just talking to all the world and tell the good news. And Peter did that uneducated fisherman started doing that. 3,000 people placed their faith in Jesus. And then last week, Ryan talked about in verse 41 how they, they, they trusted in Jesus and they were baptized. Okay? And then the question is, is what happened to them after that? And that's what we, we come upon in verse 42. Here's what it says. They, this is at least 3,000 plus people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. Doesn't this sound great? Does this sound great? Yeah, it sounds like, hey, who doesn't want to be a part of a community like this? Okay? And in fact, it's such an amazing text that we're reading that just for $24.99 at Hobby Lobby, you can get it right on a slate. You can put that right in your right there, okay? This is such an amazing text that we're going to put it up because this is this is really cool. We want to be a part of this kind of thing. But we have to do this. We have to balance what we read right here and the excitement with the reality of the day today. And again, how I think they did this was devoting, distributing and demonstrating. So I want to start with the the word devoting. We find this in verse 42. In verse 42, the word devoted is actually better translated as they continually devoted themselves or they persisted steadily. They continually devoted themselves or they persisted steadily. Here's a question I want you to ask yourself. What do I continually devote myself to? What, What do I persist steadily in? If we're honest, we all, we all are devoted to something. We are co- continuously devoting ourselves to something. Maybe we're, maybe we're devoted to it, working out. Continually devoting ourselves to working out. Or maybe it's to our job. Or maybe it's to our children. Or maybe it's to a hobby. I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but I would say... There is something that you are persisting steadily towards or, or continually devoting yourself towards. And, and my job is not to convict you about what that is. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is I just want to share with you what the first followers of Jesus seemed to be devoting themselves to. And it was these things. 
to God and to one another. They were devoted to God and to one another. We, we read they were devoted to God, and we see that because they were devoted to the apostles' teachings and to prayer, and they were devoted to one another. We see that through fellowship and breaking of bread. Now, I do want to be careful. Whenever we read Acts, we have to understand Acts is what's called a descriptive text. It, for the most part, it's saying, here's what happened, not here's what you have to do. We find more prescriptive texts in like the letters that Paul writes and some of Jesus' teachings, right? Here's just saying, here's what happened. But we can still learn from what's being described here. And I think we should pay close attention. Because what we have happen here is, is a, a small group of people becomes a giant group of people in a very short period of time. Something exploded. It's because they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ and they started to live in devotion to God and to one another. I mean, I dream about, I dream about as a family of faith, us seeing people saved by Jesus and baptized daily. And that would be awesome. That's something I dream about. Do you persist steadily in the apostles' teachings? Do, are you devoted continually to prayer? To, to eating regularly where Jesus is the center of the way that we eat? And I, I think it's interesting to note here that it says they devoted themselves. Note that it just says they devoted themselves, which means they didn't have to have like accountability. Someone saying, hey, are you doing this? They were devoting themselves to it. Not that accountability is bad. I'm just saying like they were just devoted to these things. Um, I'm glad Steve came up. Uh, those of you who have been around for a while, you'll know Steve and his wife, Martha. Um, Steve and Martha are devoted to these things. If you know them, you know, you know they're devoted to these things. A couple months ago, uh, I asked Steve, I said, hey, Steve, would, would you be willing to, I know that he's devoted to these things, I'm just, I'm always learning. I said, can I, can I join you some morning when, when you're in the Word and in prayer? I just want to be near you because I just want to see what you do. I want to keep learning and growing. And, and he's been following Jesus longer than me. So I said, Steve, can you let me do that? And he said, of course. He goes, I, I start at 4.30. And so I was like, What? Like in the morning? He's like, yeah, I started at 4.30. And I'm like, I don't, know if my, I don't know if my car works like at that time in the morning. So anyway, so I went over there and, and, he, and spent an hour with him from 4.30 to 5.30. And was able just to watch and learn and observe kind of how he is devoted in those ways. Because he's, he's got to do that for an hour before he then goes as a welder off to coal manufacturing. And I know his wife, Martha, has got a prayer closet that she has upstairs that she's, you know, praying in at almost the same time. It's just... It's a beautiful thing, and I want to be able to learn, and I think we can learn from one another in this. But these are the things that the early followers of Jesus were devoted, them, devoting themselves to, to God and to one another. Now, once we devote ourselves to one another, this is where that honeymoon phase rate kind of like can, can, can go away kind of quick, because the reality of that day-to-day can happen, okay? The, it sounds nice on a Hobby Lobby sign, but any of you who have been part of a, of a community for any length of time, I'm talking a small group, mission, you know that it's messier than that. It's more complicated. Things can get a little messy when you're with other people. You can put up with a guy who talks too much for a couple months, and then it starts to wear on you a little bit, right? You, you can give grace to the gal who doesn't say a word for, like, months, and, and then you start to go, I, I'm tired of trying to pull teeth. You can, you can grow weary of this. You could maybe share something that you have been struggling with, with your group, something vulnerable, and then perhaps 
they don't really do a good job of following up with you on it. You feel uncared for. That happens. You become bitter and start to disengage. I get it. Maybe, maybe you're going through a really hard time or an illness or a, a breakup or something. This stuff happens, and it can be messy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my favorite guys. He was a pastor in Nazi Germany. Really tough time to be anything in Germany, quite frankly. To be a pastor in Nazi Germany is a really tough time. He wrote a book. If you don't know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'd, I'd ask you to, to think about it. It's a great story, great brother in, Jesus, in, in Christ. He wrote some books. One of his books is called Life Together, the Classic Exploration of Christian Community. And we as a staff and elders are going through this this summer. But early on in his book, he kind of he debunks the idea of Christian community idealism and utopianism. He's like, that's just not... It sounds nice in Acts 2 to some extent, but it's not how it necessarily works. Here's what he says. I don't have it on a slide. I... I forgot to put it on the slides. I'm just going to read it to you. Here's what he writes. Innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it has sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and to try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we're fortunate, with ourselves. With ourselves. And here's what I think Bonhoeffer is trying to make, this point. He's trying to say, if we look for the family of faith to be the center of our faith, we will be greatly disappointed. If we look for the family itself, for the community to be the center of our faith, we will let uh, ourselves down and we'll let others down. Because family, and we even use that term, we say we're family of followers of Jesus. We want to be family, but family is not the center of the Christian faith. Jesus is the center of the Christian faith. And he's the only one who we will never become disillusioned with. He's the reason behind the, the, the way that they were devoted to the teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayer. He's the reason people could give anything and everything they had because he'd already, they'd already forfeited their whole lives to him. He's the one they had in common. It's only out of devoting ourselves to him that we can actually devote ourselves to each other in the midst of our mess. So, we see them devoting But we also see them doing something else. Number two, we see them distributing. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, when I read this, I ask myself the question, is Luke using, like, is he sugarcoating stuff? Like, was this really happening? Is this hyperbole? Is this kind of rose-colored glasses the way that he sees things as he's writing it? And I would say the answer is no. I think this is really what was happening because later on in Acts, Luke tells of a time where Paul and Barnabas get into a disagreement. He doesn't hide that stuff. But he's saying this is kind of what happened. Now, this is radical. Think, read, let me hear that. Say it again. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. That's radical. Now, it says, some of you are worried about this, okay? It does say that they broke bread from home to home after that, okay? So you're like, whew. 
So it means that some of them didn't sell all their homes, right? They had homes they were breaking bread in. But, I mean, this is pretty radical. And what it does is it raises a lot of questions. Because some of you right now are going to ask some of these questions. You're thinking to yourself, these things. Well, did they literally sell all their goods? Literally? Come on. Did they sell all of them? Because if they sold them all, wouldn't like they become needy then? Are they really helping? Is that wise? Did they give to really anyone? Like even the addict and the alcoholic and the jerk? Like they do that? Like did they did they like screen them first? Like doesn't God help those who help themselves? What if they gave to someone with a low credit score? Hmm? What if they gave to someone and someone then took advantage of or took for granted what they gave them? Was their term spelled out? How do they know it was really something someone needed and not just what they wanted? Who was in charge of figuring this all out? And you know, These are questions. Some of you, let can be honest, these are, you hear these things, you start to ask these questions. This is rational, logical thought. And, and there's this radical distributing that happens. One of the things that Catherine Toby and our local reach team has been doing for the past three, three months, I asked them to kind of come up with a, with a benevolence theology and say, hey, because we get calls as a, as a family, we get calls in the office saying, hey, we have this need, we have this need, we need this. Some people aren't from Kettlebrook per se or part of our family. They might be not even from West Bend. Just calling. How do we deal with that? How do we process it? And I've asked them, hey, I, I want you to sit down. I want you to pray through and work through. How do you answer those questions? Because these questions probably come up. So this radical distribution was causing probably these kinds of questions to come up. But I want to, I want to show you something else. This radical distribution was probably causing other questions to come up like this. What kind of a community is this selfless? What kind of a group of people is not driven by the answers to those questions that we just asked? What, what kind of community is motivated to live in such a way that they live like this? How do people become so free that their possessions don't matter? See, these, these, this radical distribution would raise questions. And you know what? The people would come and ask those questions. And you know what they find the answer to be? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is the answer to those questions I just asked. Why people are living like this. What their motivation is. This summer as we go through the book of Acts... We're also kind of paralleling it with a current book of Acts that we're seeing unfold in front of us, which is in, happening in Chad, Africa, with our sister Sally. Sally has uh, become the first follower of Jesus in a large Muslim city there. And uh, our, our missionary partners, who uh, will be actually in the area pretty soon, they report out to us, hey, things that are happening, crazy things that are happening all the time because of our sister Sally and what, what God's doing through her. So I got a report about a month ago, and here's what it says. We are on day five of our friend's very important month of fasting. So that's Ramadan. Uh, the Muslims fast from sunup to sundown. Uh, the month of Ramadan just ended not long ago. The Holy Spirit gave Sally a beautiful idea. She desires to break the fast with new believers in the different towns, knowing it will be a challenging month for them. She wants to share the reason why we as followers of Jesus fast and how to love the lost. She also wants to bring porridge and soup to give to the poor to be an example to others. Knowing, folks, if you heard the story, Sally doesn't have, I mean, she doesn't have porridge and soup to give. Okay? Two days ago, she went to uh, a village, and she happened to make soup with meat in it for the poor. And the poor said, we can't remember the last time we had meat. They know of her story and were amazed by her love and generosity. 
The believers there were in awe of how the Father used that act of faith and love to greatly soften and open hearts. Every other day, handfuls of people are coming into the light. That's Acts 2.47. Right now. The news of her acts of compassion is spreading. Today she's heading to yet another village because they heard about this Jesus follower who shows great love and compassion to the poor. They want to meet her, hear her story from her own mouth, and hear more about Jesus. Because they're asking why. And her answer is Jesus. Sally's devoting herself to these things. And as a result, she's distributing in radical ways. Not out of her, not out of her uh, plenty, but out of her poverty. Now, what would this look like for us? This is a challenge. What would this look like for us? I know of a, of a missional community that has, um, at one time they took like post-it notes and on one side they listed off. Here's all the things that we have that we could share. Here's just the things that we have that we could share. And on the other side, here's some things that we each maybe need or some, some maybe had some needs. I don't know what it looks like exactly, but I think the Holy Spirit can convict us to show us what does it look like for us to think through this text and apply it and live this out in such a way that others would ask questions and point to Jesus. So we have devoting, distributing, and number three, demonstrating the good news to those who don't yet know it. I want to reread 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It says they were demonstrating. They were, they, they were basically demonstrating the good news of the gospel to others who didn't know the good news of the gospel. And it says they were doing it day by day, not once a week for an hour. It says day by day. And so if I, if I share this this morning with you, and I understand we're so busy, our schedules are so packed, and just as guilty of this, but, but this wasn't an event that they tried to plan. They were consistently seeking to live out these kinds of demonstrations in the midst of their natural rhythms. And I think that's the question we, we're trying to figure out as a family. What does it look like for us to do, to do life together? It's hard to sometimes do that because of how busy we are. But what are the natural rhythms of our lives that would allow us to do that? I don't see you all, all every day, but there are people I do see every day. My family, people I work with, some of my neighbors I see almost every day. You see certain people many days. Whether it's on the sidelines of your kid's baseball game or practice, or whether it's on a carpool to work, or whether it's a coworker in the office, how do we leverage our rhythms to do this, to demonstrate the gospel? And who do we leverage them with so we're not doing it alone? It's, we're doing it as a community. These are things I think we're challenged with by this text. A couple of weeks ago, Fred and Tess Best uh, I don't seem to hear this morning in this gathering, but friend and Tess are part of our, our, our family here. They took me down for a tour of the new Seat of Hope Center, which is right across from the post office. Beautiful space that they were able to purchase, and uh, they're set up in there. It looks amazing. So we're going to give me a tour, and I found out there are five, five members uh, or, or part of the family of faith here at Kettlebrook who are on their board of directors. I'm like, how do I not know that? That's awesome. And there's a handful of others who are serving in a regular rhythm. So, so the question is, is how are they, because they're, they're already doing that to some extent, they're in a regular rhythm of seeking to serve those who are part of the Seat of Hope Center. 
Uh, Dave and Kayla Lazowski and Roger and Jen Enters are in Hartford, and they're seeking to live out chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, together as a community in Hartford amongst their neighbors so that they would be asking questions and saying, why do you live this way? And they would be able to point the answer. Point to the answer is Jesus. Now, as we think through this, I do want to keep in the forefront, we do need to be demonstrating because uh, we can be very out of balance when we read this text. Chapter 242 is a very well-known text about how they gathered together, they broke bread, they did all these things together. Um, John Stott writes that we have to keep 42 and 47 in balance. Here's what he says. Those first Jerusalem Christians were not so preoccupied with learning, sharing, and worshiping that they forgot about witnessing. This wasn't about just cloistering together and and having the world out. It was about witnessing or demonstrating the gospel to those who have not yet met Jesus and is the one who is responsible for creating that kind of community. So in light of devoting, distributing, and demonstrating, I want to ask ask you just a few questions to reflect on. Most of them are in your bulletin, but I want you to think through these things. What are you continually devoting yourself to? Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to do some work in your heart as to what you're devoting yourself to and reprioritize some of those devotions to God and to one another. Secondly, I want you to reflect on this. Are you part of a family of faith? And this doesn't count. Meaning Sunday morning for an hour, this isn't family in this sense. This is what we call a large family reunion. Okay, This should be smaller families coming together to celebrate the Lord. John Stott, again, he writes this. This next slide, Nathan, thanks. What Jesus did was two things together. He added to their number those who were being saved. Number one, he did not add them to the church without saving them. In other words, no nominal Christianity at the beginning. They were in, they were saved. Nor did he save them without adding them to the church. In other words, there was no solitary Christianity either. This was a lone wolf. They were brought into the family of faith. Are you engaged in faith family? We call those discipleship groups, small groups, missional communities here at Kettleburg. That's what that looks like. Now, if you do that, I promise you that it will be messy. But as you do that, God is going to be working on us. We, I was in a, a group one time and a, and a gal said, in front of the group, started breaking down, started crying and saying, thank you for loving me when I've been really hard to love this last six months. She acknowledged, like, hey, it's just been really hard to love. But thank you for loving me in the midst of that. And we're all growing through that, right? And then it happens. Lastly, who are you demonstrating the good news of the gospel in your life to? Who are you praying for? Who are you engaging with on a regular basis? And in what ways can you leverage the rhythms of your life to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think these are things that this text challenges us with. Now, as I close, I want to do, I just want to close with one thing. I think the Spirit has given me this idea. Uh, I want to try it, and hopefully uh, He'll speak to you as well. You should have gotten an uh, index card on the way in. If you didn't, raise your hand, and, and, and Don and Bev and the team will give you one of these. The goal of this is this index card is going to have Christian and the team come back out. They're going to play music for a couple minutes, and then we're going to sing a song or two. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us because you might have a possession or a good. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a laptop or a computer. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. It's a washer. I don't know. 
that you could share. If you do, and the Spirit says, I got this thing, you write it on this card. And then write your name and contact information. Or maybe you're here and there is something that you need. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a car. (laughs) Maybe it's a washer. I don't know what it is. But if that's you, you'd say, I I, I, I need this. And don't, don't let pride get in the way. Just write it down. If the Spirit speaks, please listen. And then just write down your name or contact information. You can write both on this card. It's okay. You can write one, whatever. And we're going to have you put them in uh, baskets in the back. Bev, can you and Don maybe put baskets uh, on the back of those two tables? On the way out, just fold them in half and put them in there. And then we've just given Sue Cole, our director of administration, plenty to do for the next two weeks. Uh, but no, she, she said she'd be open to doing that to help coordinate. Um, we're not going to just become a rummage sale here. You've got to bring all this stuff here. We're going to try to coordinate if the Lord's saying, hey, someone needs this and someone has that. Now, here's the thing. What we'd really love to do is that this should already be happening in the context of small groups and mission communities. It should already be happening. But not all of you are engaged in that, and we understand. And so we want to create a space for us to do that as a larger community this morning. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll let the Spirit do His thing. And please don't hesitate to write either way and put it in on the way out. Sue will be the only one who knows of those things. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this radical text, this compelling community that was founded and based upon your son, Jesus Christ, who sold everything he had, gave everything he possibly could give, including every last drop of his blood. for those of us who are desperately in need. Desperately in need of forgiveness. Desperately in need of hope. Father, uh, we confess as a family, we confess that we don't always live out this. We don't live out this text that we see here. But Father, we pray that by Your Spirit You would increasingly, increasingly motivate us by Your Son Jesus so that we would. Help us to repent when we don't. I pray, Father, that you'd speak to us now and, 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 and help us to share with one another. Help us to be devoted to you first, and as a result, in overflow, devote ourselves to one another as well. So be with us now, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.